This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. My name is Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hi, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer here at Baptist Union County. And hey, everybody, I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. And today we are very excited to have Dr. Sanjay Parikh, professor of otolaryngology and, and head and neck surgery for the University of Washington. He's also the associate surgeon in chief for Seattle Children's Hospital a board of directors for the American Society of Pediatric Otolaryngology and the chair of the advisory council for Oto Head and Neck Surgery for the American College of Surgeons. Sanjay has been really critical to condition improvement and innovation efforts for Seattle Children's for many, many years, very passionate about process improvement and using data to transform hearts, minds, and processes. Dr. Parikh, welcome to the program. Wow, what a what an honor it is to be here. I'm a little intimidated by this great crowd, but I really appreciate your guys' invitation to allow me to be part of this this discussion. You're welcome. Looking forward to it, Dr. Parikh. Uh, once again, just th- thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. And uh, and on a personal note, I want to say that I, I am very thankful for uh, pediatric otolaryngologist. Uh, I think all five of my children had had ear tubes at some <laughs> time or another, and a couple of them had. Uh, had multiple sets and i'm telling you that that i mean immediately they're sleeping through the night but uh well thanks but, for me i appreciate that no yeah, i think and, my youngest is uh yeah we're currently funding uh, our otolaryngologist is his um you know retirement fund <laughs> goes out to <laughs> but uh you know, it's interesting on a side note because of the pandemic we've had to shift our thinking about ear tubes because there's been such a dramatic drop in ear infections related to social distancing so crazy so, really yeah, yeah there's probably about a 75 to 90 percent reduction in ear tubes across the country so uh, we have to look for other retirement planning uh, i guess that's what i'm trying to say <laughs> dr Parik, uh when we have when we have physicians on there we always like to to ask about how they got involved in continuous improvement. You know, most of us, you know, we we didn't go to medical school and, and go through residency thinking, okay, I'm gonna be this this continuous improvement um, expert. It's it's normally something that we that we ease into and we learn about and, and we always like to start out with with physicians on the show, uh, having them tell a little bit about about how they got involved in continuous improvement. Yeah, well, thanks, Dr. Mason. Great question. It, w- it was a gradual sort of startup for me. My first job, uh, I've been here at Seattle Children's 10 years, and I worked for 10 years prior to that at at uh, the Children's Hospital Montefiore in the Bronx as part of the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. And it was really in the Bronx where I got my first sort of interest in. I'd, I'd read a couple of uh, books on sort of lean healthcare, and and I started practicing in my office with spaghetti diagrams, mapping out how I was walking and <laughs> moving in a clinic and where I should actually have the equipment labeled and and sort of working with my MA, uh, our MAs on par levels, like how many of those ear hooks do we need in each room so I don't have to walk out to go get that ear hook. And and that's where I sort of became an amateur enthusiast. And then and then I was recruited to this job here in Seattle, where and Seattle's really had a long history of involvement with Toyota production system and incorporating it into our sort of workflow and operations. And it sort of permeates from the pharmacy to the building, you know, the uh, the sort of reception uh, uh, to the uh, where our where our, uh, our storage area there's even you know it's sort of all over our hospital where um, the total pressure system has had had its effect and uh, when they recruited me I was like wow this is incredible I I, I want to be part of this and then it was part of the reason I came out here to Seattle 
And so it's sort of been a process for me. And then I got to go to Japan as part of a learning group. And and then I've, I've been involved with leadership here. And and, and I have to say, though, that I, I still consider myself an amateur. I, I'm still learning and continuously improving my knowledge around what lean is. There's so many different interpretations of what it is. And and for me, it's uh, the basic reason I got involved in it was just to, you know, make my day better. You know, it, it, it's a sort of a selfish thing I've done is I like a day where I don't have to go searching for equipment in clinic. I like a day where the OR is moving on time. I like it a day where I feel safe that all my teammates know what we're all doing together that day. Those are some of the things that have kept me engaged and I'm still working on it to, to get better at it. So we talked earlier and, and you mentioned before that you like to use data in order to, I guess, inform your continuous improvement efforts. Can you give us a few examples of how you've done this throughout your career? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I think, Dr. Lancaster, that the data part is so critical. I mean, without measurement, you don't know if you're making improvement, really. But I think that's sort of a, 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 a I'd say I started lean even before I had data. You know, there's things you can do that, you know, make things better, you know, like huddling in the morning, you know, doing work for developing these par levels in clinic or, you know, building a clinic that's safer. I mean, those are things that are all part of the lean mantra, but measurement makes it even better to share that and to really reinforce why are you doing something and are you showing it's better and then sharing it across a, a, a broader group. I don't know what it's like with you guys, but sometimes we don't have everyone engaged, you know, in sort of lean healthcare. You know, and, uh, you know there's some folks that just can't, you know, get into it. They're like, ah, yeah, you just, just do it. You just need to get faster. You know, I, uh, I'm going to come to the OR and then I'll, I'll call me when the room's ready. And, you know, I'll be there and then I'll go to the lounge and I'll complain about how the turnover is terrible. That's, you know, that's one one way it goes. On the other hand, what we can do is actually measure, and that's what, and I was, that's, we're currently, and by the way, we're not perfect at this by any means. We, we got a lot of work to do here. But, you know, one of the things we're trying to do is try and recognize what our best practices, but we have to first have a measurement. So, for example, one of the projects I'm working on right now is trying to improve our first case on time start mm. um, by, by having morning huddles. So, our hypothesis is that we, if we increase the number number of teams that huddle 30 minutes before the start time, we'll actually increase our first case on time start. And so we have our uh, our measurement is actually how many what percentage of rooms are huddling. That's our our process time, and then our outcome uh, measure is so our process measurement is this the frequency of huddling, and our outcome measurement is the first case on time start. And so we have two measurements, uh, and and we and we, and we started doing that a few months ago and in initiating this plan of having morning huddles in the OR. And what do you know? We've actually improved our huddling by about 20. Our first case on time start time has gone up about 15, 20 percent in the last six months because of we initiated this. And also, the, I think there's higher, there's things we're not measuring, though, on that, right? We're not measuring the safety of the patient. Are we actually improving the overall safety? We're not measuring the, the satisfaction of our staff. Are we actually improving our staff? Those are things I think we're actually benefiting from that. But we, at the beginning, sort of intentionally measured these things. Because now we want to share with the teams, hey, look, you know, we did this huddling experiment and we we were like, we, we had to do a lot of work to start that, by the way. We had a standard kind of protocol, what a huddle looks like. We had teams from anesthesia, the uh, CR, our CRNAs, our, our MDs, our, 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 our circulating nurses, our techs. We were all part, we built a team to construct a huddle format that we thought we all liked. Uh, and then, but we're, that's a little pilot that we need to share across the whole, you know, operation now that, hey, this, this works. 
And and I and I and I think that's why I think analytics are so important because it, it kind of then it go I can go back to that surgeon who's sitting in the lounge and say, hey, you know what? I have some other ideas for you about how you can make this process better. Look at this data. Look at how we're we're shifting. You know that our culture here, and please join us. We'd like you to be part of that culture of improvement and safety. And and sometimes you know it makes it works, and and yeah. sometimes it doesn't work. But we keep doing it. No, I mean, data is, is so important and, and integral to continuous improvement. Um, I worked at uh, at another system before I, I joined at Baptist, and our, one of the things we were looking at, like everybody's trying to do, is really improve your patient satisfaction score. So every, it was almost every week, you know, I heard the same presentation every single week. They would show this month's patient satisfaction scores, last month's, and then the month before that. And so every month, you know, it'd be, it would just show a three-month interval. And they had all these different initiatives, all these different plans to try to improve it. And mm -hmm. one day I was just, you know, kind of got, I, I, they would get very excited if it moved up one month and then get disappointed if it moved down the next. And so I just got a little suspicious of it. And I asked for all their data over the last three years and I plotted it out on a giant run chart for three years and really just showed them nothing that they had been doing and really moved <laughs> the needle. And everything yeah. they were seeing was just, you know, kind of your routine your, variation, your common variation. Right. right. And so, you know, I, I love the run charts, especially with continuous improvement. And, you know, I try to do the same thing with uh, we do a lot, a lot of that with, um, you know, some of our infection prevention strategies with C. diff or C. diff rates and things of that nature. And it's really great where you can show the physicians, look, we, we implemented this pro uh, process that this hospital or this facility and uh you know here here's how it's changed on this run chart and it's very black and white and very clear and i think that really sends a strong message and helps you get adoption did you That's get them to read yeah. dr wheeler's book or, or mark graven's book about no. xmr charts no i did not assign that one no <laughs> mark if you're out there i'm putting a little plug in for your book I, I think ahead. that uh, I love ahead. that story about the the run charts and the and and you really need to look at things like there has to be a the hardest thing though is just controlling things like you know we we made the huddle happen but there was some other work going on simultaneously you know for improvement so is it just the huddle that drove that improvement in the first case on time start I think it was a piece of it you know we also did some things with improving the the flow of patients from the uh, from the check in area at the same time. And so then it speaks to maybe you do want to not have too many variables at the same time because you never know which one actually worked or not. But then it slows down the innovation, right? You if you have teams right. excited about doing same things at the same you know the same moment. But oh, I, this, I, I yeah. appreciate completely yeah. what you're saying though. I mean we've done the same thing where we're chasing our tail because we said, oh look, the run, you know the, we that was great, it worked, and the next month it's gone down. And you're like, well, well right. then what did we you know you know? And so we can't overreact, and and that's why we have to look over a long term all this sort of analytics, you know. Oh, and, and this year has been impossible with the pandemic because all of all of the charts are, you know, is, is this really because of what we did or is this because of COVID? It, it's possible. So it's it's almost a wash yeah. for all of 2020. COVID I is a big, that, big yeah. excuse for everything this year. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. We, we uh, you know, the other thing I think I want to point out about the analytics is that, um, you know, people get a little overwhelmed when they're when they're thinking of a project um you know to to build an analytic and you're like okay that that word analytic itself is a bit overwhelming that means i need to get an analyst i need to have a uh, someone you know you know I, I i try and always share with teams that analytics is not necessary you can put a piece of paper on your desk and measure how many times you you uh, you used a ear hook today you know like there's you don't need to have a analyst to do stuff some experiments that we do are just that simple right like 
you, we will put a sign up on the door and on, on the clinic door. How many times did, it, did an ear, uh, did a cotton ball? I mean, something like that get used today. And then you can just look at every room, how many rooms. And then the MA at the end of the day collects that goes, okay, now we know what our par level is for this room. Like those are the type of measurements that you can do for point improvements that are just frontline. I think when we're thinking about bigger operational problems, like we have an OR kind of timeliness and like first case on time start, those are where having professional analytics and involvement really helps a team, a, a larger team work around a problem. So, I mean, there's different ways of measuring things. And so I don't want to walk away from this area. You guys think, oh, in Seattle Children's, all you do is, you know, massive analytics and rooms full of boards. No, sometimes it's a piece of paper on a desk with, uh, with right. a couple of measurements that are saying, does this work or not in this clinic today? That certainly helps you get started much faster if you just do it that way as well. I think yeah. that's a great point that you just made, Dr. Parikh. You know, I, I refer to it sometimes as I can get started today with even dirt, what I call dirty data. I was talking to a physician and he was wanting to go uh, into the analytics. And I said, uh, how many physicians did you, were you able to... Uh, help out with the ideas. They had some ideas, they took the ideas, implemented them. He said three. I said, so three physicians, you got an attaboy. He said, that's right. I said, great. So let's see if we can get four tomorrow. I said, let's just have a little check mark, <laughs> you know? And, and he said, it can be that easy. I said, it can be that easy. It's, it's so cool. And actually, when you I have to say, one of the fun things is when you build one of these, uh, what we call sort of uh, visual boards, in the space you're working, they, they get a little catchy. So, you know, for one example, one of my one of the teams we have here, um, we have these great pool of nurses who contact the physicians and in, in pediatric laryngology for you know uh, phone call messages, et cetera. And uh, and 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 there are moments where they're you know they're they're in the basement, you know, proverbial basement because it, we, the the providers have not responded in a timely way, right? You know and they're, they're, they end up being the middle person stuck between the patient and the provider trying to bridge this communication. And then what they did is that they, they said, okay, we're going to work on improvements. And they, and they actually, in our clinic, put up a uh, sort of a, a, a two charts, just a day by day, saying how many outstanding uh, messages were left. And, 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 it, and it had such an impact on all of us looking at this chart. And then we started seeing it go down and down. And there was no change in any of us other than that we visually saw the burden that these our team is seeing in clinic and then everyone's rewarded by seeing this visual of the number of messages outstanding going down and then you also see when it gets bad again and you're like oh wow look the, my teammates suffering look at how i got to get to my message center and 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 work on this so it, it doesn't have to be this massive computer analytical thing sometimes a visual on a board in a space is so powerful a tool to get a team to, to huddle. And even better is if you can convince the leaders of that group to huddle around that board daily. So if you have a board like that and you can take your clinic nurse and your, you know, your clinic medical director and your medical assistant and say, you know what, here's what we're gonna measure for the next month. And we're gonna look at this every day together for five minutes and say, what's going well, not going well, not going well. And then we're gonna build improvements around this to see if we can change this. Uh, those are those can be really effective too. So there's there's, there's there's the little piece of paper, there's the visual board, and then then there's the electronic analytics through you know that are data driven. So I think there's all sorts of uh, data you can grab to to really make improvements. When when you talk about talking about engagement, uh, I think as a physician, uh, I think Jake and you would you got you would probably agree that a lot of times the greatest obstacle for continuous improvement in healthcare is the physicians themselves. And so because of that, a lot of 
you know, in the OR, for instance, when they're trying to, okay, we're going to work on this or we're going to work on that. And instead of including the doctors, they just say, well, they're, they're going to be such a, a pain in the, a pain in the butt anyway, let's, let's just do it without them. And, and it just doesn't work. What have you guys done at, uh, at Seattle's yeah. Children's to engage the physicians? I know you've, you've talked a little bit about it, but to really get them involved and to really get them to buy into it. What a great question, Dr. Mason. And, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky. We have a facility uh, here. So Seattle Children's is a main site. We have a main campus in the, in the Seattle can- area. And then we have a, a couple of satellites. And about 10 years ago, we built, Seattle Children's built its first satellite out in Bellevue. And and it was built around integrated facility design where teammates, it wasn't just architects, but teammates actually designed the rooms and how they would flow. And, the, and they were a bunch of physicians that said, there's no way, no how I'm going to Bellevue. No way. I've always worked my entire career at one campus. You're going to make me drive seven miles across the bridge to go see patients. There's no way it's not going to happen. The place got built and those same folks can't wait to work at Bellevue. Because the, the space was better. It was designed with everyone teammate in mind. We have common team rooms where we have pods of the MA, RN, and the physician working together rather than the main campus where we have it all in three separate rooms while we're between patients. And the clinic flow is on time. Our on-time sign there like is around 80 90% our clinic efficiency there. Everyone's seen very efficiently. It's very effective. And the main campus, we still deal with the monuments of the building, the structure, the parking, that we can't meet that. So we changed that culture. We had to have some bit of fearlessness in that initial design and goal of having a satellite. But I get asked all the time, like, what do I what do? I do? Sanjay Parikh, what do I do when I'm thinking about an idea? I do the same thing I've done for 20 years, which is I think about this person who's gonna say no. I think about that, that senior provider that I work with that's a curmudgeon to me, no matter what idea I come up with, there's an anecdote about why that wouldn't work. You know, we tried huddling 10 years ago and we did it for a year and it didn't make any difference. So why should I do it now? Every time I huddle, I have to come in earlier. That means, you know, that I have to, I can't go to round on the floor or I can't go do my my uh, dictations from like yesterday. If you make me come 30 minutes early. I hear these things, mm-hmm. they still go on and they hear and they're in my mind now before I even uh, hear from the person. And so what I share with everyone is that the first person I need to convince to make a change is myself, that I'm the problem. I'm the one who's making this problem. I My assumption is that person's going to say 10 out of 10 times, I'm not going to huddle because of this thing from 20 years ago. I'm not going to huddle because of this. I start thinking about that before anybody else, and that creates fear for me. That makes me not want to be huddle change, but I have to be fearless. I have to overcome my own uh, misconceptions and misperceptions of my colleagues that I don't think they're capable of changing. Uh, and it makes me think I need to work even harder, that I need to show that this improvement is so impactful to me and my team that I think when you see it, that you're going to get involved and you're going to become involved with me. And most of the time it works. If it's a really good idea, it'll actually permeate. If it's a medium idea, maybe it's good that we have folks that are not 100% behind us, because then those will help us know that if this is not that great of an idea and it's not working that great, then maybe it's good that someone's saying, hey, hey, you know, that's not so hot. But it's if it's even a great idea, then if that person joins us, now you've got something, right? Mm. So I would just say to folks, you know, who are concerned about that person, that outlier, find, and, in, and when we build teams, by the way, we don't ask just anyone, right? We don't just don't go ask anyone. We ask the people who we know are going to be early adopters that are team players that are really believe in lean 
and and then and, and then we're going to get these ideas through and work on them as a team and then when they work great then we'll incorporate the late adopters and even the curmudgeons will come along uh, later on it's just part of societal change i mean we if you think of society as a whole we have the eccentrics that are going to be crazy ah, doing wild things the early adopters with the late adopters then we have the lag the laggards or the curmudgeons whatever you want to call them that's just part of a successful society but if all we think about is the laggard if all we think about is curmudgeon there's no way we can make any improvement or change. We have to get that out of ourselves. And then I think you can advance yourself to come up with these ideas. And it's wow. and I can tell you it's hard. It is hard because the first thing I think of is that person and I've got to get away from that. I got to think about the other 90% of the people that'll join us if we have a good idea. Yeah, that, that's, Dr. that's awesome. Dr. Parikh, uh, when we were talking there today to build on the same line of thought that you're in right now, you were, uh, you were very passionate and uh, when it came to a uh, line of thought in a book, a famous book out there called The Humble Inquiry, and you, and you talked about how much that line of thought, Humble Inqu Inquiry, meant to you. Uh, Edgar Schein, if I remember right, is the author. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and what is Humble Inquiry and what, what's it meant to you? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Mr. Stewart. I, you know, I... Uh, I, uh, as part of my grow, growth here, I've been very lucky to get um, coaching for my uh, improvement skills through our, we have a group called, a consultant group, internal consultant group called the Continuous Improvement Innovation Group. And, and they piloted a program where they were going to coach physicians to become um, sort of better in leadership. And they gave us a couple of tools. Uh, that, one of the tools I work for, a system for daily improvement, which I talked about, creating a visual board and, and huddling around that. And then another tool I got out of that was something called Humble Inquiry. And, and, and Humble Inquiry is just, for me, has been a, a massive change in the way I think about meetings and the way I think about problems. Um, you know, I can say that, you know, the way I used to think about when I went to a committee meeting, you know, uh, you know, and by the way, it was in person before the pandemic. You know, I, I would think about, OK, now what do I want to get out of this meeting? Well, I have these three ideas. Uh, about OR operations that I really want to convince people these are the three ideas we need to be work on. I've thought about a lot. I've thought a lot about this. You know, we need to do this to get ahead. And then the, the, the opposite is from humble inquiry. Humble inquiry is a concept where basically as a leader, you go into any space, any thought space about trying to understand what your team is thinking. And it's and and, and when I go to meetings now, my main thought processes is how can I extract the best ideas from the group I'm working with? And I, and, I, and I have to do it in a way that even if that person across from me comes up with one of those three ideas and I need to not take a credit for it, I need to celebrate that person, recognize them for calling it out and support them. And let me tell you, what do you think is more powerful? Me telling you what to do as an idea or me extracting it from somebody else and then celebrating that? What's more powerful for a team? And, but it's so hard to do that. It's so hard. There's so many times I still want to share. You know, I got these. I, that's how I'm a surgeon, man. I got yeah. to. I got to cut the cure, right? I got to get in. Absolutely. And I got to fix this problem. That's all I know how to do. But to sit back in a meeting and have. And then let me throw another piece of the puzzle into that. And this is this whole movement of social justice, diversity, and equity. I, I love that piece in the same kind of context because. Now I go to a meeting and I'm thinking, I know when I go to this meeting, there's these three people that always speak up. I know I'm going to hear their idea. 
but there's five other people and there may be a power differential. Maybe one of them is the person that helps with OR turnover and one of them is the full professor of surgery. Who's gonna speak up more likely at that meeting? Hmm. How can I extract the great idea this person that's, that helps me with turnover in my room every day who may have six ideas that I've never thought of? How do I get that person to get that opinion and get that idea that I have never even thought of? Mm. And so the, the humble inquiry is to also teach you how to ask the right questions. So there's different levels of questions you can ask people. So, you know, I can ask Dr. Lancaster, you know, uh, Hey, uh, how many times did, uh, did did your system go down this last year for uh, your healthcare, your, your uh, EMR? Or I could ask him, hey, how are you pro- pro- prospectively going to respond to a, a, something going down in your EMR? There's different ways of asking questions. There's sort of these very low-level data type questions. And then there's these provocative questions where you ask people, you inquire from them, how can we fix something together? And it, it takes a lot of practice. It's a lot, it's not an automatic thing. You would think it'd be easy. Oh yeah, I'm going to start that tomorrow. I'm going to start asking everyone high level inquiry questions at meetings, but it takes a while to get at it. And you know, and I've been, I, I've been honored. Like I, I went to a, I'm part of the American College of Surgeons and I went to a meeting and I was chairing a committee and after, and I was using humble inquiry. I was there and I promised myself, there's no way, no how I'm going to ask. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to ask people what they think get their point of view and and celebrate them and honor them for being there. And, you know, that was my goal. That was my goal. And after the meeting, and this has never happened before, one of the other doctors on the committee, Sanjay, that was the best meeting I've been to in so long. I really appreciate that you, your style. And I was like, wow, my, the first time I'm experimenting with this and someone came up to me and said that there's something to this. So um, the humble inquiry thing has been a really powerful tool for me. Maybe you guys are already good at it, but it, it doesn't come easy for me to just go to a meeting and just listen. I have to be the one that says something. But now I'm I'm really trying hard to be better at that because I think I think if you want to have the best teams, you have to have everyone have a voice in in the idea and 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 the ideas lend lend themselves to the innovations and the improvement. I think that's that's really well said. Um, and, and a lot of times, yeah, as the physician, you're you're off. We're often looked to as the people that can just supply the answer. Um, whereas really, which I guess what you're suggesting is, is, you know, asking the, the team what their answers could be for, for different questions. We were talking earlier in the day uh, before we got on with you about uh, Potter and change management and the principles around that. Um, and one of the key principles is to build a coalition. And, you know, it's one thing to read that, that principle and say, okay, when I have a change uh, that I would like, I, I need to build a coalition. But what you just supplied was a, a tool for how to do that effectively. If you see, it sounds like if you're, if you're talking to your team that way, you're more likely to get a lot more people on your side and, and support your change than if you're just to give them a, a top down, here's why we need to do this. I hope so. I hope so. I really do. I, 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 I feel like it's changed the way I think, and I think people around me respond to me better when I'm in that environment, when I'm, when I'm thinking of myself more as a coach asking questions than I think of myself as the, as a leader that's, you know, driving us forward. You know, I, I think, I think about that, you know, I trained in the 1990s in, in, in surgery and, and, and I, and I, there was no 80 hour work week and I, you know, I worked a billion hours and, and, and I think of the surgeons I revered, you know, and, and I'm going to say this intentionally, they were all, you know, men, 
um, who who like commanded a room and, and they were called visionaries. You know, they they you know, they had a conviction for some idea and they and they drove improvement. They said, OK, we're all going to get around and we're going to go forward and, and that's it. But I think that style is kind of it's not the the style that works for this for us today at this moment, you know, with the, all the rapid change pandemic, you know, social justice reform. You know, I think this this is the new style of surgery and, and for medicine, it's it's more of the, the active listener. Can I go to my my space today? Listen to everyone who's ever got an idea for safety or has a concern about safety. I want can I have everyone have an equal voice and footing and, and sense that they belong and share ideas for safety today? That's the new style, I think, of surgery. And 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 I really I really believe that's the right style. And I'm trying to promote that through, you know, the teams we work with. It's not an easy fix. And I've also noticed the newer trainees, the residents and fellows I work with, man, they respond better than that forum than any of this kind of old visionary style. I think that's you know, maybe Dr. Mason has some other view on that, but yeah, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's changed. It's a, par- it's a paradigm shift. I mean, and you look at the way we do our uh, surgical timeout, you know, that gives, you know, that gives everybody in the room the opportunity to, to speak up. And, uh, you know, when, when, when you do root cause analysis for, for wrong site surgery or whatnot, uh, I mean, invariably, a surgical tech who who in the the hierarchy uh, hierarchy is low on the totem pole, they will invariably say, you know what? I actually thought we were operating out of the right, but I was I was too I was too too uh, scared to speak up because I thought the surgeon was going to yell at me. And you know, I, I think you know involving everybody. This this you know, th- as a surgeon, the captain of the ship. You know that 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 just doesn't work anymore. You know I'm the captain of the ship. You do what I say. Uh, you know just do your job and listen to me. It just doesn't work anymore. It, it's uh, it's a big change. Well, well Dr. Parikh, I I know we're coming to the end of our time, and I I love your passion. Uh, it's very it's very contagious. You know I kept on thinking the whole time you were talking about the phrase, you know, listen to understand versus listen to reply. And uh, and I'm a big believer that every human being has ideas. A little phrase I use is that that God, the creator, has made you, the creation, amazingly creative. And so uh, you have ideas. We all have ideas. The only question is, have you earned the right for me to hand my ideas to you? And and that's what I love you when you were talking about humble inquiry. So I just want to you know say on behalf of Dr. Mason and Dr. Lancaster, thank you so very much for for coming on the podcast and sharing your passion about continuous improvement, and uh, we just so appreciate your time today. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for your invitation. I, I know one of your core values is humility, so I, I really appreciate that in your institution and. I think that you know that everyone's on a different journey with sort of continuous improvement and lean tater productions, whatever you want to call it. It's, it all means the same thing. You know, it's about just having the opportunity to, to hear ideas, measure, you know, come up with them, really celebrate them, try and measure them, and try and share them. I mean, and just if you keep doing that cycle improvement, you'll see you'll see the gains. And you know, we're 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 nowhere perfect here, but we keep trying that. And and and, and for what it's worth. When I have a good day at work and I feel proud about my day, I go home happier. I enjoy my time 
when I go home, when I've had a good, safe day of care, that's timely. That's what I want every day. And and Absolutely. I think when you send those kind of messages, it just it just feels good. And 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 then uh, you know it makes my 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 family's happier when I come home happier too. So that's another reason to do it. Anyway, thank you again. I'm I'm humbled to be part of this group, and I really appreciate your time, the, your invitation. Thank you so much, hey, Dr. Purdy. Thank you.